Welcome to TSCRA Talk, a podcast by Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I'm your host, Kristen Brown. Joining me today to discuss tips for a successful breeding season is John DeClerc, a technical cattle consultant for Purina Animal Nutrition. John graduated with his undergraduate degree from Texas A&M University and then pursued his master's degree and PhD in ruminant nutrition from Texas Tech. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us today for TSCRA Talk. Oh, thanks for having me. Now, I'm excited to talk to you about breeding season prep and all that goes into that. And these days, efficiency is so important. Every dollar count and all the factors that go into that have to be evaluated, have to be considered. So it's important when it comes to breeding that the breeding stock be in top shape. That's correct. Now, talk to us a little bit about starting with the, the cow's nutritional needs. Let's just dive in right there. How do their needs change throughout the year? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, you know, the last couple of years have been really tough on us in the cattle business. Uh, it seems like we've had like seven or eight different black swan events where it's, you know, packing plant fires, global pandemics, supply chain bottlenecks, high inflation costs. And so that, that's one of the things that's really driving up most of our inputs. I'm sure everybody has noticed the feed and fertilizer and pretty much everything you need to make a ranch go is, is going up this year. So as you talked about, there's the need to make sure that we can optimize production efficiency is probably higher right now than it's ever been. So I think there's several different things that we should do to make sure that as we start thinking about our spring and making sure our cash flow works, that we get to get the ball rolling. So, you know, particularly on our cow side, you you talked about cows, their production needs are going to change throughout the year, but particularly right now. And and the other thing to keep in mind too, is we've got a drought coming up here. And I think you just look at the drought monitor, it's like 82% of the state of Texas is in some sort of drought. And so we're probably going to have to be maybe a little tougher in terms of making some of these decisions this year than we have been in the past. You know, one thing I've been counseling a lot of my producers to do is that since we might be running a situation where forage is limited and our production cost is going up, we probably need to be a, a little bit more adamant about, about calling cows that have lost their calves. You know, sometimes even if you say, well, it really wasn't that cow's fault that she lost her calf. Maybe it got stepped on. You know, maybe maybe she had a calf and something happened. But, you know, pretty much most of our economic analysis suggests it's going to cost you between seven dollars and $900 a year to run a cow. And if you think about that, if it's going to cost you, say, 800 bucks to run a, a cow a year based on what Cattle Facts or A&M or K-State's telling us, and if she's not going to make you any money this year because she lost her calf, how long is it going to take you to make that money back, right? Like if, if we're making a hundred bucks a cow when she has a calf, well, that means she's going to take you, you know, seven or eight years just to, to kind of get back what you lost this year. So I really think particularly when we have limited forage, potentially a drought and our production costs are going up, if you got a cow that probably lost her calf. I think just it's be more conservative and probably just need to, to get rid of her and, and take her to the sale barn. And, and one nice thing is, is that cold cows are, are worth Quite a bit right now. I mean, coal cows are you know 80, 90 cents on some of these uh, you know harvest coal cows. So the reason that's really important is we talked about spring here. I know I'm taking a, a pretty labored answer to get back here. Is because of we're kind of header, entering the time when your cows are, are reaching what we call peak lactation and where their nutritional needs are the highest. And so two months after a cow calf, she enters what we call peak lactation, and that's where her nutritional needs are the greatest. So you know, a thirteen hundred pound cow at that point, it's going to need about three and a half pounds of crude protein a day. And she's going to need about, you know, 18 pounds of TDN, which TDN stands for total digestible nutrients. It's just going to be the estimating what percentage of the diet she needs 
or what percentage of the diet that she eats is actually digestible can she actually use and so that's going to be the highest point of the year for her and you know particularly right now if we have limited forage part of the reason i'd say if we got cows that aren't lactating that lost their calves we need to get them away just so uh you know pull them off the herd so they're not competition now particularly as that calf gets a little older lactation you know levels off usually the lowest uh, nutritional requirement for cow is going to be right after we wean her calf anytime you pull the calf off the cow you're going to see her maintenance requirement reduce about 25 to 30 percent so generally that first month or right when you pull the calf off of her and she stops lactating that's when we're going to see you know when a cow's probably five months pregnant you know at that point she only needs a pound and a half of tdn or a pound and a half of protein excuse me and maybe like 11 pounds of tdn so a significant uh, reduction in terms of their requirement. Are there other factors that go into successfully getting cows bred in addition to nutrition? We do see probably from a nutritional standpoint, you know, obviously as they get, you know, lactation is going to be the biggest one. I think in Texas, we deal a lot with heat stress. And as a consequence of heat stress, sometimes an animal, when they're stressed out, their body will react the same way it does when they're sick. And so you'll start to see like cortisol levels and some of those stress hormones elevate quite a bit. That really makes it tough for cows to get bred. We probably don't fully understand anytime we have an immune challenge or stress challenge, exactly what the elevation is going to be from a nutritional standpoint. We know it's somewhere in there, but we probably just haven't quantified that perfectly as science. Where I really see heat stress and just stress because of those cortisol levels get elevated, it makes it tougher to breed your cows. And then I think it, we end up running into more occurrences of early embryonic death. You know, one of the real frustrating things I think for a lot of our cattle producers is that, you know, you see a cow get bred, she settles, we see them cycle past a couple of times, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're open. You know, you see them come back in heat. And that we see a lot of that early embryonic mortality. And I believe one of the biggest genesis of that issue here in Texas is heat stress. Now, I don't think it's as much of the nutritional demand there as it is just the, the stress and those hormone levels, you know, uh, causing that pregnancy to terminate. Sure. So if you can have nutrition right, though, then that takes off an additional stressor so that their bodies can can survive the elements of the state. Yeah, that's true. Cows that are losing weight are more prone to get be stressed. I mean, honestly, if nothing else, it just if you think about cattle, they're kind of hardwired, you know, for survival. So you know, stress is really important, but as cows are losing weight and if their plan and nutrition is going down, their body pretty well tells them like, Hey, I, I can't get pregnant right now. Like you can't take care of yourself. You're losing weight. The last thing you need to do is, is to take another, you know, to get pregnant, particularly if they got a calf on their side, they're lactating for. And so we worry about that a lot in the spring because if cows that are entering peak lactation are probably always going to be losing some weight, but hopefully if our forage quality is getting better and they start, you know, they're, able to increase their percentage of TDN if they're getting more calories every day. We can kind of trick the, the system into thinking, okay, well, you know, I've got more to eat now or, you know, better feed that I'm consuming. So it's okay for me to get pregnant because of, you know, I, I should be able to, to support that. So we run into some issues sometimes from like right now where we're looking at some drought and we might have a limited forage settings. You know, that's a stress or nutritional demand that can make it really challenging for cows to breed. One proven remedy has is, is been, you know, maybe feeding a, a supplement or, or getting more supplemental fat into cows' diets. So if you've got a lactating cow, even if they're losing weight and you're trying to get them bred, if you can feed them about, you know, half a pound or maybe a little bit more fat a day, you know, that might be with a, a distillers or a supplement from a feed company or, or whole cotton seed or something like that. You can kind of trick the system into thinking because 
fast, very calorically dense that they can get bread. And then also, you know, when I was a kid, it, it sure seemed like everybody thought, you know, cholesterol is a bad thing for human nutrition, right? Mm-hmm. And now we kind of understand that a lot of hormones use cholesterol as their building blocks. So for your cows, like estrogen, progesterone, those hormones that are essential for her to get pregnant are built with cholesterol. So when we start getting more fat in the system, not only do we increase the plant of nutrition, but we're also can kind of jumpstart that reproductive cycle. Sure. Sure. That's fascinating. Well, and I feel like in the ranching world, you've got to see what you have control over and the weather drought, you don't have control over that, but we can have control over what we're offering for our cows. Exactly. Now on the flip side, let's talk about the bulls. Talk to us about the bulls nutritional needs throughout the year and prepping them for breeding. Yeah, so if we think about uh, breeding season, is just a, a taxing affair on bulls. And most of the time, if we just have a traditional 90-day breeding window, we're expecting our bulls to lose 10 to 15% of their body weight. You think about it, there's going to be you know, muscle atrophy, fat catabolism. And as a consequence, bulls are going to lose basically one to two body condition scores. And, you know, this is really challenging. And, and if you think about, you know, the goal of every single cow-calf operation or, or any cattle operation is to get cows bred. Reproduction is the number one factor that affects profitability. Nebraska did a study where they said it was you know five times more important than calf growth. And so, you know, the bull has an outsized role in terms of reproduction. You really think about it, you know, the bull is kind of like your star athlete of the program. You know, we all know, like, if we think about the Kansas City Chiefs, we probably know that the Chiefs are going to go as far as, as Patrick Mahomes is going to take them. And if you got a thin bull or you got a bull in bad shape or a bull that's too fat and you can't get your cows bred, well, it's, it's going to be a really tough year. And you know, mentioned how input costs are going up, but at the same time, luckily, the cattle market is coming back around. You know, even with the war in Ukraine, we've lost some of the cattle market, but in fact, feeder calves are worth, you know, 25, 30 cents more than they were a year ago. We're still seeing sale barn reports here in, in Texas of, you know, $1.90 for five weights and, you know, pretty impressive numbers. And, and even next year, most of these economists are forecasting to receive 230 feeder calves. So the last thing that I want to see is after making it through these tough couple of years in terms of cattle market, to end up with a 50% calf crop next year because of the bull that I turned out right now is in bad shape. And so we've got to get our bulls in, in, in the right kind of shape and form. So I, I think, you know, if we consider that most of our bulls are going to lose weight during the previous breeding season, you probably need to get them in and defeat them. Now, it's kind of like a Goldilocks approach. You can't have them too fat, can't have them too thin. You know, bulls that are too fat, they're more prone to have hock issues and be soft-footed because we, you know, push them too hard. When we get real fat bulls, they'll start to deposit fat in their scrotum, and that'll reduce circulation to the testicles and elevate their temperature to their testicles, and that, you know, can impair semen quality. Bulls that are too thin generally produce about 23% less uh, total semen, so that makes it tougher to get cows bred. And so what I, I like to do is, is to kind of plan early. I know that I want my bulls to be a body condition score six when I turn them out. And most of the time, they're going to lose two body condition scores just in a 90-day breeding window. So after I get them, you know, pull them off the cows, you know, I'd probably want to start feeding those guys. I want to put a slow gain on them. I don't want to try to, you know, if they need to gain one body condition score in a bull is 100 to 120 pounds. So I might need that bull to gain 200 to 240 pounds. Well, if I'm going to try to do that in three months, I'm probably going to have to push them too hard. And then I can end up with hock issues and feet problems. And so if I if I try to do that maybe over four months, then I can only need them to gain a pound or to maybe two pounds a day. And for a bull to gain a pound to two pounds a day, I could, I could accomplish that with a high quality hay, about 2% of body weight of a high quality hay, and maybe 
you know, six to seven pounds of, of a grain supplement a day and put it on him in a safe way where I can get that bull where he's still toned up and athletic. He's not so fat that I'm worried about him, you know, breeding a cow and, and hurting himself, but he's still in good enough shape that I know he's going to continue to breed cows throughout the, the breeding window. So, you know, at this time of year, you know, if we start thinking about, hopefully you got your goal, your bulls in good shape. Hopefully you got them pretty close to that target body condition score of a six. If not, you know, probably need to be, be feeding those guys just to try to get them to close to that target as I possibly can, because I don't want bulls to fall off later in the breeding season. You know, part of the goal is not only just getting our cows bred, but getting them bred early. And so bulls that are in better shape are more prone to breed your cows early. If you think about it this way, most of the time we wean our calves off at 205 days age and they weigh about 500 pounds. So that means they're gaining two to two and a half pounds every day they're alive. So a bull that gets a cow settled in the first 21 days compared to the second 21 days, well, that's you know 21 days of age on the calf is going to be equating to about 40 pounds of, of live weight when you wean that calf off. Today's market, that's about 80 bucks. And so having my bulls in the right kind of shape to where they can get their cows bred and get them bred early is, is really important. The other thing you need to do, obviously, this time of year when you're worried about your bulls or, or you're considering your bulls is obviously a breeding soundness exam. So spermogenesis, which is just the process of making semen, takes 61 days. And so as with that in mind, you probably want to make sure that you get your bulls BSEs conducted at least 60 days before calf, before the, you're going to turn them out. You know, like last year, we saw a lot of folks that, that had issues with uh, breeding soundness exam because their bulls you know, had something, you know, got into a little trouble during the winter freeze. And so like the semen they're making today is going to be, or the semen that they produce today, that process started 60 days ago. So you want to give yourself a little bit of leeway. That's why you want to start 60 days before turnout and get them semen tested. If they fail or if they're kind of on the line, you can retest the bull in 30 days. So, you know, test them two months before basically turnout. If you got a problem, retest them again a month later. And then if that bull fails a second time, that gives you an opportunity to go buy a replacement bull. Because again, you know, I got to get bulls, my star athlete of our program. We've got to get cows covered. This is the most economically important factor. So I, I can't afford to turn out uh, not to have enough bull power to get the job done. Well, with all of that, one thing that just keeps standing out to me is the importance of a long-term vision of having a plan early and not just looking at you know, what is tomorrow, but let's really a year, a whole year approach and mindset to your cattle operation. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I, I think records and, and, and kind of being able to, sometimes bulls are kind of out of sight, out of mind. You know, I have a lot of folks that, uh, you know, it, it, they're hard, right? They're, you forget about them. You know, it's uh, sometimes we have facilities to take care of them. We got to run them with the cows, but, you know, kind of having a calendar, sitting down at the end of the year and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to pull my bulls. This one, I'm going to find a spot to get them into, to get them in the right kind of shape, because it's just, it's just like anything in life. It's really tough when you're playing catch up. With the long-term plan and the cascade of events, just mention right quick, talk to us, touch on the importance of a tight breeding season and a specific breeding season. Yeah. So I, I think a defined breeding season is really important. Most of the time we define our breeding season based on forage quality. So we'll talk about how, you know, forages obviously improve and decline throughout the year. So our goal is to have our cows entering peak lactation when our forage quality is at its best so that my forage quality kind of coincides with the cow's nutritional needs throughout the year. Now, the other big advantage there too is by having a defined breeding window, whether it be 60 or 90 days or whatever it may be 
is that I can get rid of cows that aren't quite as productive and then divert resources to my cows that are productive. Okay, so if we had a basketball team and we had John DeClerc and LeBron James on the same basketball team, I would sure hope that the team would be oriented around making LeBron James the best version of himself he can instead of focusing time on me, right? Because the team's success is going to be way more dependent on how LeBron performs than how I perform. It's the same thing in your cows. Like, do you really want to have a cow that's, you know, your best cows calve every 12 months. That's the way that you optimize performance is for your cows to calve every 12 months. Well, if we have a year-round breeding program, then I got one of those cows that's a bottom-end cow. Maybe think about your cows as employee, like a bad employee. Maybe she's calving every 16 months. Well, the problem is, is she's taking away forage away and, and competing for resources with my best cows that are getting the job done the way they need to. And so by having a defined breeding window, I kind of get rid of some of those poor performing cows and I save my resources for my cows that are getting the job done. And I'll tell you, I'm not an economist. Uh, my, my PhD is in nutrition, but I, I try to read a lot about the industry and virtually every single economic analysis I've seen it makes it just be a no brainer that you need to have a defined calving window that, you know, saving resources for the cows are getting the job done you can have a generational impact, not only on your profitability on these first couple of years, but then you're only retaining heifers out of your cows for getting the job done. You're not propagating the genetics of cows that have reproductive problems or cows that just, um, you know, aren't calving in the right uh, window or, you know, need, you know, 16 months to, to have, you know, 16 month calving interval instead of a, you know, 12 or 13 month, like, which would be ideal. I may be a broken record on this, but it comes up so often here on the podcast that I just want to highlight it again. But keeping records and knowing your herd is so valuable. Any specific information you can work from is important and helpful. Yeah, no, that's, that's for sure. I always think, you know, our memories are just not near as good as what we think they would be, right? Sure. You ever notice you see a husband and a wife or two best friends and they will get an argument over something that happened five years ago and they're both just 100% sure they were correct? One of my favorite research studies I've ever seen done before was conducted on 9-11. So September 11, 2001, they interviewed like 10,000 people the day after the event. And they asked them, what were you doing during 9-11? And then like 15 years later, they called these people back and asked them, what were you doing on September 11, 2001? And almost 50% of the people that they called had the wrong recollection of what they were doing. They had a total different answer 15 years later for what they did than they did, you know, what they actually did the day of when they were answered the day after. And so the interesting thing is that the researchers said that these people were arguing with them. They're like, well, I do. I must have been wrong the day after because I know for 100% fact this is what I was doing. And it kind of leads into this cognitive science that our, our mind has a way of kind of folding memories together to try to save space and those things. And so I see a lot of ranchers that just assume like, oh, I'll remember that that cow, you know, didn't get bred or I'll, I'll remember this, I'll remember that. And our, our memories just generally aren't that you know, that precise is what we'd like to see. So records are, are very, very important. I can't imagine, particularly like on a cow, that you know, not calving every year. I can't imagine somebody telling, a, you know, if you had a house, you're renting out a house. There's no way you would tell, you know, the person that was your tenant, like, just pay me once a year and you can pay me whenever, you know, because you might start paying you in January and the year after that, maybe he pays you in March. And next thing you know, he pays you in October. And then before long, it's like, this guy's lived in my house for eight years. He's only paid me six times. And you start thinking about resources, the type of money you're leaving on the table. It's the same thing for a cow. If you're not keeping a defined window before you know it, that cow might be in there. You're hurt for 10 years, but only give you six or seven calves. Yeah. Fascinating. Was there anything else that we have not covered today? I feel like it's been a fantastic conversation, but I don't want to leave anything out that would be important for the listeners to know. 
Oh, not really. I mean, I, I think, uh, like I said, this has uh, been a pretty trying time in the cattle industry. We've had kind of, you know, deflated prices the last couple of years because of COVID and artificially depressed prices. But uh, I am really still optimistic about the market. You know, and unfortunately, we had the largest one-year cow liquidation in the United States we've seen since uh, 1996 last year. We lost about 719,000 cows. Uh, terrible for those folks that got out of the business or because of drought, maybe were forced to lose some calves or lose some of their cows. But because of we've we got less cows, that means there's going to be less calves born. And if you look at the trend line that we're seeing in the United States now in terms of cow liquidation, you know, these last few years, it's it's very similar to the trend line we saw after the droughts in, you know, Texas and throughout the West in 2011 to 2013. And because of we liquidated cows, that led to the calf market of 2014 and 15, when we didn't have a lot of cows, there wasn't as many calves being born. So the market was well north of $2. And I truly believe that we're set up to have a good couple of years in terms of the cattle market, you know, because of some of those factors that we've lost so many cows. And, you know, the reason that's important is because of those of us that have been in the business long enough. I mean, we know how it goes. You make money about, seems like about one out of every five years. And then other years are just trying to hang on. And, you know, even though input costs are going up, we are, you know, positioned to have a good couple of years here in terms of cap prices this fall and, and particularly the, the year preceding that uh, next year. Like I said, I think we're projecting 230 feeder calves. So I know it's been tough and I know we might have to get a little more creative in terms of making decisions this year with fertilizer and herbicides and, and feed costs. But if you got a good set of records and you make some of those decisions, I still believe we can be very profitable in the cattle business. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing all of your insight and knowledge with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening today. To learn more about TSCRA, visit tscra.org. 